This is a public service announcement brought to you by Cardell Sims and the good folks of TMG Records. Check the forecast, I rain fact, that's true precipitation. Give them time back, or use it to build patience. Either or try to maneuver above basics, so when you touch down, you hover over complacent. Long story short, we made the time count. Incarceration couldn't keep our minds timed out. We just gave clout to the count times and grinded. Made our re-entry a journey out of confinement. What would be one word to All right, we back. That's right with another episode of the Reentry Journey. I am your host Cardell Sims, and tonight we got a special guest. We talking about we talking about going from prison to the presidential candidate. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a different ball game now. It's it's crazy. We talking about the hood politics, the hood candidate, a journey from stability a little bit in the beginning and. You know, got a little freedom and, and chose chose to, to hang around just the neighborhood, the gangs, and going through many different trials of life to, to end up as a presidential candidate coming from prison and, and, the, and the life uh, is an amazing story, an amazing journey. So tonight, my guest on the reentry journey, let's welcome to the floor, let's welcome to the reentry journey to share his story. Mr. Andy Williams, welcome to the reentry journey. What's up, brother Sims? Man, glad to be here, bro. Oh man, good, good to have you. So, um, let us know. Give us your story. Let us know about you. <laughs> so, uh, I grew up in Aurora, Illinois. It's like the second largest city in the state of Illinois, a western suburb of Chicago. My father and mother separated when I was two. My dad started dating a German lady, a.k.a. a white lady, but she's German. She's German. It's my stepmom. Uh, they got married, had two children, two younger brothers. They separated when I was 12. And when they separated, I had always been inspired by looking at the older kids, you know, uh, brothers being in, you know, street organization. It wasn't like it was a negative aspect. It just was something that, hey, they look cool. You know, here it is. I'm growing up in a biracial family. And I'm looking at these Hispanic brothers because I went to a, a the school I went to grade school was predominantly Hispanics. Okay. And it just looked at, you know, like cool. So, <laughs> I mean, real talk, I was a straight AB student, played the saxophone violin, um, went on camping trips. I mean, vacations in the summer, went to Germany when I was seven, you know, so I ain't saying I grew up in no, you know, uh, deprived, financially deprived household. I, I didn't. Uh, my mother, my stepmother, you know, was a disciplinarian, mm. the authority figure in the house. And, you know, being a little, you know, colored kid, kids at school teaching, at least my mama ain't white, you know, that kind of. <laughs> oh, <home>. no. <laughs> right. Oh, no. <laughs> like, neither is my mama. But, you know, um, uh, so that kind of like shaped some foundational aspects for me. But when they separated, I was in middle school. And middle school is where, you know, the black brothers of the street organizations was. 
So even right. though I lived in a Hispanic neighborhood, based on my geographical location, I didn't go to this one middle school. I went to the other middle school. And all the brothers over there was folks. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I naturally gravitated towards that. And I think from the way that I grew up, my foundation, it was easier for me to maneuver through life because I didn't grow up uh, maybe in some of the circumstances. Some of them did because some of the brothers, you know, in our town had two parent households, but they was working, you know, different shifts, you know, different stuff like that. So, you know, it was just a different environment. Right. And so um, I want that was on the east side of Aurora. And then I flunked out of uh, ninth grade high school. I flunked. And when I went back to be in the freshman homeroom, I'm like, man, I ain't doing this. It's embarrassing to me. You know, I just said, forget the school, got involved. Um, well, had so so when you you saying when you went back, like you you flunked out and you went, went back to to uh, the do the ninth grade over, do the freshman year over. And you went in the homeroom, you was like, man, nah, uh, no, nah. I'm out of here. Yeah, this is embarrassing. I'm going to have to repeat it. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I was a, a popular dude in the school, you know, uh, but I was involved in ganking, stealing stuff uh, for the, for the, I was trying to <laughs> <laughs> out on the street. Hey, you said a word, um, and crazy, you said that word because a couple of days ago, I remember the first time that I heard, um, Somebody used this word and they was actually stealing. When I was a little kid and I walked into the dollar store and there was an uh, older guy from my neighborhood. One of the big homies I knew from the neighborhood, he was in there stealing. He was like, gank him. <laughs> so when he said that word, ganking, I guess I know what area you you, you grew up in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me, dog. Um, <laughs> but I would be selling tapes to the, to, the, to the homies out there slanging and stuff. Like I was a dude that was getting their music. Um. But then I moved from the east side to the west side, and that kind of like shifted because the west side of Aurora was more of a uh, a middle class, upper class financial regiment. So the school district was different than the east side. You know, they had busing. It was just a whole different environment. So I started ganking with them cats. You know, we got a little group. I was like the crazy ass criminal. Uh, I mean, it was a group was called Crazy Ass Criminals. You know, CAC. And I had, you know, the curl, khaki, straight out of Compton. You know, it's four of us. And then I got um, popped off on a dope case. Uh, And when I got popped off on the the, the very first dope case, um, it was like a 16, something real small. And the cops seen me, you know, stash it. And then I sat in jail for three, three, four days for a $1,000 bail. And I'm like, you know, I wasn't good for a stack. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we out here getting money. Um, and then from getting out of there, that that first little drug case, I'm like, bro, I ain't never going to sit in on no bond case again. I'm, I'm never going to do that. Wait, let me back up because I skipped going to the penitentiary. So when I moved to the west side, I snatched this gold chain uh, and then I wind up getting arrested and I would have got a probation. But one of the other homies snatched a gold chain off the lieutenant of the police department's wife. Oh, they, they put that on me, but I didn't do that, and so I wind up getting three years in the Department of Corrections. Okay. Um, I mean, I did like fourteen months, thirty, yeah, fourteen mm-hmm. months, uh, nine in the county, and like four months in Department of Corrections. So it wasn't like no 
hard time. This is back in 91. So, right. you know, 90, 91, it was a different, at least in Illinois. I don't know about other states, but this prison wasn't, you know, it was, it was a, 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 a minimum security. Right. And in your in your whole time doing doing that uh little prison time, uh what was you doing? Like you said you did about like four or five months in the prisons and then maybe nine plus months in the in the county going to so prison. In the county renegade, you know what I'm saying, getting in all kinds of trouble, going to the whole, you know, a little bit of gang banging. Not not major gang banging, because it was, you know, it was all from people from the town. So, you know, we all grew up together. So it wasn't no major, major stuff. Um but then in the once I got to the prison, you know, man, the we, we was in a dorm, so I, I just mm. kept with the guys. And then, like, I was the chief of security, so I had to walk in the back. You know, I went to school, uh, got into it with the guys a couple times because it's like, we know who you are. Because, you know, they they kind of hip to the, to the thing. It's like, you know, we can, um you want to keep walking at the back of the line, you know, you're going to be here for a while. Like, basically, we know you short. So I went mm -hmm. to talk to the, you know, who had it for the deck over there. And he was like, well, we're just going to take you off. You know what I'm saying? Because um, it wasn't about like, hey, this is what we're going to do. This, it was like, we, we, we'll take you off. And so yeah. when I when I got out, I paroled to my home neighborhood, the house I grew up in. And my dad had been there, moved out, but he was renting it out. And it was a dope house. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So I paroled to the dope house and my homies come over there. He's selling cocaine now. He like, bro, this is a good spot. <laughs> right. Three months later, I get raided. Uh, so you, so you, so your first prison experience, you get out, you go right back to, you go to the dope house. You go right to the dope house. And within three months, you, you it's raided. Yeah. Yeah. So then I go back to the county and there was a brother that had been down like 30 years that was back home. He was a stone. Good dude. And he basically told me if, because what I did is I confessed to the dope because one of my homies was in the crib with me. He wasn't slanging. I was going to trade some dope with some pistols. And you don't you don't do that by yourself. That just, you know what I'm saying? We don't right. move like that. And so he ain't had nothing to do with the selling the dope. So I confessed to it. They wound up letting him out. And his brother was an old stone. He was like, if you never would have confessed, you could have beat the case because he was into the law. Mm. So I got a law library pass, and I beat the case in the bench trial. Oh, man. I beat the case in the bench trial with a public defender. I got the statement suppressed. Um, and so once I got out from there, it's like 92, December, 93, first three months of that year, I stayed in the Kane County Law Library reading all about, you know, drug laws, all that. Because I was just about to ask you, did when you when you beat that case, was it because you put the work in, or did you actually have a good public defender? Because most public defenders ain't about to do nothing. So I had a good public defender, um, but we bumped heads a lot because okay. you know when I read something, I take it for what the word is. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm reading the word the same way cats talk about the scriptures. That's the word. That's the same way the law is. So when I mm. saw what the law was saying. It was a case people versus nettles and people versus Wolski. And it said mere proximity is insufficient to prove possession. Okay. And so what the judge said, I know the dude guilty because I threw his statement out, but the state didn't prove it. And so, you know, boom, man, I, I popped up out of there. But uh, like I said, the public defender was a good dude. He a good dude though, but he, okay. he like he's solid on when, when he think you out of order, he, 
he'll withdraw from your case. He got his own practice now. That's how I know this about him. Because we stayed in touch, you know. Okay. Um, But once I got out, you know, I I got into the game heavy. Because now, once I knew the laws, I saw it. uh, Wind up having a shorty. And then another shorty. uh, And about 96, it was like a whole bunch of murders going. No, so after I had my um, uh, first daughter, the, the blueprint came out with growth and development. That's really what happened. And that okay. blueprint like shocked my conscience. Like, you know, I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, whoa, 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 bro. You know, I got to backtrack because, you know, I had a position in the organization in the town and I'm like, this ain't what the vision talking about for me. And it's like, I had this, uh, what I call on the road to Damascus experience, the light popped on and I'm like, what the hell? But I still was selling dope and right. I had a couple cases, but I was going to beat them because, you know, I had knew the law. And what happened, I went to court one day and I basically told the judge, if anybody's familiar with that uh, Michelle Alexander Jim Crow book, the new Jim Crow, I told the judge that's what they was doing. You running up that plant, you sitting up there like you're the master of the plantation. You know, I just spit into him. The whole courtroom went quiet. One of my lawyers' face turned red because, in fact, (laughs) the dude that was the public defender, he was my hired lawyer. Lawyer. He was one of the lawyers. I had a hired lawyer and I had uh, the old public defender, which he was transferring his practice. It was Bruce Steinberg and a dude named David Kamek. And it just embarrassed the hell out of them. Well, one of them for real. Um, So they put me in the mental health center for six months Mm. and said I was unfit to stand trial. Uh, And the way they got me is I was 10 minutes late to court. And I'm like, how can I be (laughs) a failure to appear? So that's just, you know, another story about that. But when I got out from that six months, um, I had been done left the dope game pretty much alone, but I got into it for a little second, but not to be moving big weight no more. And then uh, my first, well, I only got one baby mother. Uh, her brother, you know, he had been in the juvie a lot, but he started teaching me about the blueprint, what it meant, teaching me the lit, you know, from a straight walk with a brother standpoint. Um, then in 96, he got murdered along with like, 27 other people in the town. It was like 28 murders that, that year. And so I left the town, moved to Naperville, uh, which was a affluent suburb, um, started selling cars. <laughs> and and how, how important uh, and how important was that move? Was it a must that you made that move? It was because uh, my brother, he got shot in front of the crib. And then two mm-hmm. days later or, or day after, um, they came back and I had a shootout through the window, but I, but my uh, baby's mom, you know, she was pregnant at that time, mm-hmm. and so she was like, "Boom, I'm up, I'm going to Atlanta," because it was her brother that got killed, right? You know, and we were staying there. It was it was our crib. So then she like, "I'm moving to Atlanta," and I'm like, "No, nah, I don't go." You know what I'm saying? I, I I get us up out of here, but she was already up, you know. So right. she she left, uh, and she was pregnant with my second daughter. Uh, she went to Atlanta, and I moved to Naperville. But it was a secured building, you know, where we had mm. a guard 24 like you couldn't you couldn't even get in the building, you know, because it was a 24-7 guard there. Right. Um, so I was like, I got a secure. She she eventually did come back. Uh, but then I started selling cars at this uh car dealership. And then I wind up going to church, getting um ordained as a deacon, and then so it's like 2000, 2001 that's when I straight started the journey of just getting life together, wind up um, 
uh, I had my third daughter in 99. I got married in 98 and got involved in the community. And the, the police officer that raided me wind up being the chief of police. And we mm. sat on a board together. Like, you know, we would go to breakfast, like super solid dude. He would, with me, uh, him, the mayor, the state rep, would be at the table with certain brothers in the community uh, from street tribes, you know, discussing violence that was going on. Um, and then I just, boom, 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 started transgressing there. Got involved with the Quad County Urban League, just different organizations. Um, wow. And then I wind up opening up a mortgage company. Oh, yeah. you say you wind up opening up a mortgage company? How did yeah. you How did you get involved in in, in so it was a into dude the mortgage company? Like, yeah, like how did like how did you end up getting off into that? <laughs> it's a dude that I was selling cars with, and one day okay. I walked into him downtown in Aurora. He was old slicks to do, but he he was doing mortgages back then. Okay. And he was telling me, man, you be good at this. Woo, woo. You can make five, six racks. And so I'm like, really? Boom. I went and got me suited up and just, just sat in there and learned the game, you know? Um, and so he fired me because he was a slickster dude. Because, <laughs> you know, you when you cut from the streets, you know what I'm saying? Can't nobody just pull one on you. Right, right. And so he was trying to run that slick stuff, you know, and I got one of the homies across the parking lot with 30 I six, like, dude, don't give you this paper. You know, we finna boom. And you know what right. I mean? Because I still had that that mindset, you know. The what I'm mindset, saying? right. Um, but we you know, my pops came through, we wind up, you know, squashing it, letting it, you know, go like whatever. And then I started my own mortgage company because they had heard about this company guy was working with. So then I went to go connect with some Jews. And then I just did the paperwork, fam, and just did what I needed to do, work with them mm -hmm. for three years, and then I started my own business. I got the, the the mortgage license, got the surety bond, everything that it was required, you know. Okay. I started getting properties, um just really a whole turnaround. And was it and when you when you started your mortgage company, did you have any um problems with with your background and when it came to investing with the properties and stuff like that? Not at all, bro. This was like 2000. So it was a different, you know what I'm saying, environment. We still evolving as people. And so it wasn't about this whole big mass criminal justice reform. Don't, but th that wasn't even an issue back then, you know? Right. Um, at least if it was, it didn't affect me. And so from there, <clears throat> uh, I wound up getting caught up in the foreclosure crisis. Mm -hmm. They put a foreclosure on my house. And then I spent 13 years learning about mortgage servicing fraud, securitization. I mean, I I, I did so much, learned it, uh, went to the NAACP, became a vice president, chairman of housing. So I'm still evolving in this journey, you know, just right. going with it. Uh, wind up going across the states with the NAACP. Um, and I wind up suing several of the banks in federal court for under RICO for running the criminal enterprise. Uh, oh, you hit, the, <laughs> you hit the banks with the Rico? Man, bro, that's what they is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> Man, that's, so when you, because oh, I got to, I got I need you, I'm going to need you to break this one down to me. When you say that's what they is, break it down, you know, in, in a way to, okay. to what you mean by that. So a criminal enterprise is some, which if, if, if Cassia know, you have 
uh, let's say the Bank of New York. That is the, the major company. So under the Bank of New York, they have a servicer. And the servicer is connected through this thing called a pooling services agreement where they pool all these mortgages together, okay? So in order to skim the money from the people, the servicer would hold the payment. So would, and so if you pay your payment on the 13th, they won't post it until the 16th. So then mm. now you get a late penalty. And oh. so once you get the late penalty, when you go to make the next month's payment, they take the late penalty you know what I'm saying? So then your payment is never from the next. Yeah, so you ain't never made no full payment. And that's a scheme. Yeah, that's a stone cold scheme. And they were doing that with insurance on properties. They say, oh, you don't got insurance on your property, but you do because you had to get it. You know when you close, and then mm -hmm. they force place insurance, raise your payment. So then you can't never make the payment. So it was just a way for them to extract money. And bro, I could get into that so deep because I love it. But they was double dipping too. They mm -hmm. had insurance on the mortgages but then they'll come into court and try to sue you for the scheme that they was doing and i just i uncovered it and so i hit them running a criminal enterprise i named all the players i said the attorneys was aiding the betting them and just you know what i'm saying right. I sued because that's how the government's gonna hit that's how the government will hit you most definitely most definitely so i started you know uh from a spiritual aspect which i didn't know that at that time I began to flip the script. You know what I'm saying? Like now I'm on the righteous side, uh, at least dealing in that type of life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do, I'm going to hold y'all accountable. Right. Um, and so from that point, that foreclosure, uh, kind of like, you know, and our, and our, and our marriages young, no, no, no positive marriages to model, no mentoring, you know, we didn't know how to, you know, navigate through the difficulty, but I wasn't, uh, uh, gonna be able to navigate through the difficulties anyway because i was i wasn't faithful i was an adulterer so i still wouldn't been able to see the righteous path because i still was blind by my actions what i was doing so right. it wind up disrupting the family and i say that because i cannot just blame the foreclosure situation on my fit uh the growth uh of, of the marriage because i still was coming in with what i call unclean hands you know what i'm saying yeah. so i can't be like well this happened it attributed to it um, and I wind up suing them, like I said, going for 13 years, started helping over 200 people in the community, you know, traveled around the States with that too. Um, so from there, got a divorce, went to school, got a, a, a bachelor's degree mm. in paralegal studies, but I had to get that cause I was trying to figure out how to sue these banks and stuff, you know, right. what to do. So I just, you know, was trying to learn. And then I wind up, uh, one of the professors he had a, a law firm in this uh, city and he called one day like, look, I'm looking for some paralegals, man. I'm like, cool. You know, I'm going to go check dude out. And I wound up working with him for three years. That's where I met my wife, my, my wife, now my queen. Um, and then once I was able to uh, uproot all those years of, of uh, cause I, I had never been faithful longer than six months, period, you know, for 20 some years, I was, you know, mentally, I, I would say I was trapped. But then some things came out with our relationship that just made me have to face that enemy, that that, that one that was in, inside of me. And once right. I was able to defeat that enemy, realizing I didn't have to be afraid to be committed, you know, my mother wasn't going to leave me no more. My girl ain't going to leave me. Like all of these things that kept me trapped, we was able to get married. And then 
And then I was just able to see things different, hear more clear, you know, through the spirit realm. And one day, May 3rd, 2019, the father, you know, that's what I call my creator. The father cut into me and said, son, will you want to consider running for president? I'm like, yeah. And so that's how I, you know, joined into the campaign to run for president. No experience, but I do what I always do. Grab them books, read, ask questions, call the FEC. Uh, then I wind up joining the Libertarian Party, did some debates with them, which really I was just getting trained in some more stuff, you know, how to <laughs> operate and just gain my voice, you know what I'm saying? Gain, you know, my clarity and my platform. So I didn't make the presidential choice to pick because I didn't even show up to the debate, whatever they were doing, because the spirit was like, man, I ain't got time for that. And then I ended the campaign with me being an independent uh, and I wind up being the hood candidate because I had to suit on with the hood, but I also was a human right candidate too. So it just wasn't trying to say it was just this platform. And I had a really solid platform. So then after, you know, I got like 17 votes that I could verify, you know, I was a write-in candidate, you know, went to uh, California, Iowa a few times, uh, went to South Carolina. So I was making some moves. Mm. But then after that, I wind up saying, you know what, I'm going to keep my platform going. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm living out my platform in the sense that I have a lawsuit against the United States right now and 32 other states that declare that that 13th Amendment legalized slavery and that must be abolished. So mm. I sued them. You know what I'm saying? I sued right. my, my local police department. I called them slave patrol, slave catchers. That's why you only target certain neighborhoods. Because this is the root. This is the seed which y'all have grown from. And just calling them out. You know, I got, uh, uh, so coming come April, fam, I'm going to start hitting up these uh, cities with the RICO Act. I'm going to start suing the, the police departments in the cities, you know, um, the states for running the uh, criminal enterprise. Racketeering is the slavery of the people. Because slavery is a, 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 a racketeering. That's, that's a predicate act. It's a racketeering when you, the racket is slavery. So even though you're saying it's only costing 23000 this is an $85 billion industry. If we go back to 1860, it was a $4 billion industry. So it didn't do nothing but evolve. It's just slavery by another name. And so we're <laughs> very conscious on that. Right. And, and you know, I, I, I made a video a while back talking to basically the, the same thing you're just saying, how slavery never ended. It just like it just evolved. That, what you said, exactly what I said. I mean, that's just the way, that's just how it happened. Um, you know, and the 13th Amendment really does need to be abolished, just the way it is worded. Uh, the practices in prisons, I, I've been in prison several times where I had prison jobs, that if them jobs was getting paid on the streets, they probably would be making 50, 60,000 a year. And here I am making 53 cents an hour, if that, right. $22 a month at, at the most. Um, doing these jobs. And one of the best jobs I had in prison was probably a $100,000, $200,000 a year job. And that was working at the governor's mansion, doing uh, being a lead uh, pantry worker when I was on work release uh, in, in the state prison. On my way home, I got a job at a work release doing uh, working at the governor, governor's mansion, doing the lead pantry. I'm talking about when they had big uh, banquets and big dinners. We got to set the tables. We got to put the order in for all the glasses and stuff we need. Carried the little trays. We was out there looking like Eddie Murphy and them on a oh uh, 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 uh coming to America. Yeah, coming to America. Yeah, they were like we was out there working for the McDowell's 
<laughs> you know, and but that's all included. That's all the result of the 13th Amendment. Correct. And people people don't really understand the, how important it is because it don't say if you were sent to prison, you become a slave. It says if you're duly convicted of a crime. And my, my position on that is if they really want to say um, those that ain't been to prison but been convicted of a crime fall up under that too. So if they really want to really push that, then they, you will fall in there. You don't have to be in prison or went to prison just to, to suffer from that, that law, that amendment. I appreciate you saying that because all the citizens are slaves. And I'm going to tell you why. When you look at that 13th Amendment, which I just want to end the exception clause in there, but involuntary servitude is in that 13th Amendment. So if you go to work and the government is taking money out of your check. That is involuntary servitude. Because mm. what, is, what we don't work for the government. Man created the government. Government didn't create man. So right. why are you taking from man? Mm. Because you think we're slaves. And I can get into all that because it's got something to do with the birth certificate. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I know what you're like, saying. Yeah. This this whole system is designed. To stop us from living in our freedom element, to stop us living in our natural uh, uh, created element that was created from a creator, whether that be nature or God's nature, because that's right. the unalienable rights that we were given to. So when you get this this mindset of having the freedom, you can't let nobody oversee you be because you're a creator and creators create. That's why I ran for president. Because mm -hmm. I could not see nobody that could represent our interests. Nobody could talk about the hood. You couldn't talk about criminal justice reform because you can't reform it. It needs to be abolished. You can't talk about reforming the police because it's a. it needs to be abolished. What we need to do is put in correctional institutions. But the correctional institutions shouldn't have two million people in there. So we got to figure out where did the two million people come from? From the Reagan era. from I mean, from the Nixon era. Well, wh why did that happen in the Nixon era? Because they had a war on drugs. Well, what happened before that? The Cointel Pro. We still got brothers in prison right now from the 60s. But we know the Cointel Pro was a discriminatory uh, a movement. So why the people ain't coming home? Because our generation ain't stood up to bring them home. That's mm -hmm. why. You can't run around here talking about Marcus Garvey, never ask somebody to do for you what you ought to do for yourself, and you steady asking somebody to represent you. Because you're not representing the principles of Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, Mandela, or any one of those other ancestors that laid it down. We just cannot wait no more. So what I'm saying is now across the states, they done got wind to the hood candidate. Because I'm pushing that pen on these cats, helping cats with hate is, you know, doing all the stuff I got to do. And now they see us a brother out here that ain't looking to, to, to be the president. I'm looking to be the servant. See, right. it's a difference. See, the greatest among you going to be your servant, not your president, you know, because before it was president, it was chief. Where would you get the word chief from other than the tribes, meaning that we got to get back to our roots because it's a spiritual thing. And we looking in the natural trying to figure out who the hell we are. Well, our identity been stolen. So mm -hmm. if you're looking at them to figure out who you are, you're going to be messed up. You got to look within. And when that spirit arises, that, that sleeping giant, then you realize it only take 300 of us to run for office and we got a super majority. We can do what we want to do then, but we don't got to wait till we get elected. 
because I'd be damned if I say when I get elected, this is what I'm going to do. We doing it now because there's brothers that may not make it home waiting on somebody to get elected. Right. Man, please. Exactly. So I want to ask. Oh, go ahead. Say what? So I want to ask. Um, when when you started the 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 hood candidate, when you started getting involved in in, in the politics and in this run, and you're going to these different states, what 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 would you say is the biggest thing that you picked up and learned during that process? And this process is still going on as well. The, the, I believe that people, they know something is wrong. They just don't know how to fix it, you know, and what they, what, what not they, because it really started with me. I had to believe that I could actually represent what I was saying because I didn't have a spill. I didn't have no script. You know what I'm saying? I said, I am the script. You know what I'm saying? What, what can I bring you other than authenticity? You know, uh, I learned about really what the roles is of government, which is to serve the people. And each one of these elected officials have a job description. I learned that I can't say I'm running for president. I'm going to do all this for you. I learned the only thing I can tell you is I can assist you with the tools and resources to empower you to do it for yourself. Because a man can't change another man. That's where oppression comes in. Mm. You mm. have to want to be free. But if you cannot see, again, that's what the whole thing is. If you cannot see, even though we're not blind like Ray Charles, we still can't see because we can only see what we've been taught to believe. Right. So I, what I, I, I agree. I realized that I can only speak truth. And I got to say, I don't want to say power to the people. The people have the power. It ain't no power to the people. You can't give me something I already have. Yeah, right. So we have to be, you know what I'm saying, be real with it. And then another thing uh, I say I learned is, to me, it's not about the the, the black-white thing. It's about classism. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Said, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad it's about our nationality. That. Oh, yeah, most definitely. That's, it's that's not what about it's race. About. Nah. It's not. The race is who going to win. That's what the race is. And you think about this, when people run for office, imagine if everybody ran in the marathon. Your mama ain't no good. You did this. You did. What kind of race would that be? Mm. So when you run in for an office and you got to talk down about your opponent, you shouldn't be the one. We shouldn't be looking to that. Right, because we if we yeah. agree with those people, then what we saying that's something in them that we can relate to in us. Then we agree in their tactics. Oh, what happened? And mute it. I said no. Yeah, you here? You still here? I said. I said, and we then. What they're saying is, oh, I can't well, hear you agree. no more, Big Big Cardell. Can you? What about now? Can you hear me now? I lost you on the voice train. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I cannot hear you. What about now? You, can you hear me? Mm, I can't hear you, Cordell. Okay, so well, uh, how about 
Let's see. Try, try uh, leaving the room and coming back. Is something I did on my end? Let me see. Can y'all, can y'all, everyone hear me out there? Audio. If you tuned in, can I you hear it. me? Automatically. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I don't know what to do, Cordell. We're going to see. If, we're gonna see if he, uh, he can log back in and um try something else. Yeah, try yeah, leave the room and come back in. There you go. I appreciate it. I appreciate you tuning in with us too, uh Gabriel Court, Chief Information Officer. Oh, we really appreciate you. This we've had a good, great conversation. So so hopefully the brother uh will be able to uh Enter back in the studio and he'll be able to hear me. I know he had froze up there for a minute and then he came back. There you go. Let's see what we got. I got you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. So yeah, we back in. So uh we was talking about uh things that do, what you learned, and you was talking about how uh it's not power to the people. The people had the power. Correct. And so in this process of, of understanding that we have the power and we seeing a lot of people that's coming in and somewhat representing, we see more and more activists and hood candidates that are, are starting to get in the realm. And, and when you, when you was talking about that, it made me think of what we see going on in Louisiana with the brother Gary Chambers. What, yes. what what's your thoughts about that brother? Because you know he caught a lot of backlash, you know, uh, with, his, with his commercial for smoking. But I've been watching, but I've been watching this brother do a lot of political active uh, activist work in this field in this community for over for the past four years, going in meetings, calling a lot of politicians out. So, um, what do you think about him? How do you feel about what he got going on? I, I love him one hundred percent, and I, I think I try to reach out to him on. Uh, uh, Instagram. Um, but I really appreciate any individual that rocks with their inalienable rights because what, what he's doing is showing the people not to be afraid. Mm. So when, when these individuals are on TV and trying to mock him and say, woo, woo, the woo, the bam. I guarantee you, and I, I'm not judging them because I realize we all have uh, uh, some indoctrination in our mindset that's got us brainwashed on all sides. But anytime an individual is walking in his freedom and liberty, that threatens the establishment because they've been mentally trained to think we are uh, uh, slaves, they th to think that we are less than them. Mm. But we have been taught that too, though. So I can't just say one group of people because what he is showing is I am somebody. Right. He don't get distracted by what other people think or say. He keeping it moving. And so I applaud him in that. You know, I, I, I love that. So right. yeah, that's what's up. So um 
somebody getting out of prison, somebody getting out of prison. They might be getting out of prison right now. They might get out tomorrow or next week. And, and, and they got this, this idea that they want to get off into the political field, but they think uh, their criminal background or, or their background is going to hold them back. What advice would you give give them? They would see this next week and they come over here and see what advice would, would you give to them? Go to www.hoodcandidate.com. Just look for the hood candidate. Get up with me. And this is what I would tell them. How to do it. If the state that they're going into says convicted felons can't run for office, sue them. And mm. when you sue them, you tell them this is a badge and incident of slavery. Because this is what you did to my ancestors and you're trying to do it to the descendants. If you don't want me to run for office, don't think about taxing me. Because you ain't finna get no tax taxation without representation. Because that's the same thing that happened when the English tried to move from them Brits. When them Europeans came over here escaping them British rule, it was taxation without representation. No representation. Mm. And that's the same thing we're doing now. But since we don't understand or know history or don't know what to do. So remember, when I say we don't know what to do, that means we just don't know what to do. I show you a, a library over here because I stay reading, researching, learning. But when you finish learning, it's time to implement. We can't keep mm -hmm. reading all damn day now, bro. <laughs> right, like, yeah. You're going to have to write. You gotta, yeah, you're going to have to start applying what you read. You're going to start utilizing what you read. And so anybody coming home wanting to get in politics, you know, we, we have a political party called the Democratic Republican Party. But that was a party that already existed. All I did was resurrect it. And what I mm. feel in my heart, there's nothing new. Everything we're doing has already been done. The only thing new is we've seen it for the first time. Oh, you froze up. Can you hear me? You froze up on us. Can you hear me? You, you know what? It did it again. Every time my phone rang, that's what happened. Yeah, that's what I think. You, you should have logged back out and popped back in for a second. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and that's a good point. And those of you that haven't tuned in and don't know, we say Gary Chambers as being a representative and, and, and more of a, a hood candidate politician as well. Uh, check him out and, and, and check out the brother uh, Andy Williams because the, the moves that he's making is real powerful. And I, I live in one of them states that says that you can't um, hold public office. All right. I'm finna block these cars from coming in. Give me one All second. Right. And that way I ain't got to worry about nobody trying to call. You know who are calling me? One of the brothers from the penitentiary. Oh, okay. So yeah, we ain't got nothing but a couple more questions, man. So you get back with the brothers. But I, I was, I'm, I'm saying that because I know of several people that had got out of prison, and uh, like I live in the state where it's, I live in one of them states that says you can't hold public office. Missouri. Yeah, Missouri. Uh, in Kansas, you can, which is the state right next over. Because when they gave me my, when I got a uh, dumb, when I got the federal prison, then I had to walk down federal probation. And one of they gave me my final discharge paper and said, now you're able to uh, get your voting rights and you're able to uh, run for public office in Kansas, but not in Missouri. So Missouri is one of them, one of them states as well. Uh, but I got a question that I, I, I asked all my guests. 
and th- this question is is really based around what the podcast is about. And it is if you had one word uh, to describe this journey that you want that you've been going through, what would that one word be, and, and why? Why that one word? It would be liberated. And why liberated? Because the journey has helped me liberate myself. Mm. It's 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 all about self and not selfishly because you can't give what you don't have. If you don't know how to love you, how you going to love somebody else? If you can't serve yourself, how you going to serve somebody else? We got to stop giving away what we see everybody else doing. And we got to take time to give to our own self. I mean, just look here, bro. I've been in the bed watching TV all day. This is what I was doing. Because that's just what I felt like doing. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I most definitely feel you on that. Um, self, self, self has to come first. Um, because you can't serve, you can't do for anything, anyone else or any other organization or whatever. If you can't do for self, if you don't have self together, um, I used to argue with people because one of my things was valuing myself first above anything. People said, well, no, you need to put a high power and stuff first. And I'm like, if I don't value myself, I can care less about a high power. Once I start learning to value me, then I start getting the understanding uh, of value and a, a higher power and, and, and things like that. Then as I get that understanding, if, if it happens to switch, then yeah. But most important, if I don't value me, because I've been in a state where I didn't value me, value my freedom. So everything else outside of that didn't, I didn't really didn't value. Right, right, right. And I, I'm, I'm with you with that. But it's all about liberation. This journey is all about, about liberation. You know, learning to know myself. It's the best thing. And you know, when 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 you say a higher power, the higher power to me is here. It's the mental, it's the conscious. Because the higher power that we think is outside, if we read and understand the scriptures, it says, Greater is he that is Did I lock did I lose you, big dog? No, I'm here. Can you can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. It's, right. it's, it's in me. The power is in us. It's not outside. And that's why people have been so far behind because they don't understand the spirituality of the ancestors and their movement resurrects in us. Mm-hmm. Once we die to self, because again, we're not doing nothing new. Everything has already been done. You know, we have freedom suits back in the 1870s. Them sisters and brothers in Virginia, Massachusetts, all them, they, they found freedom suits to get their freedom. And that's what we're doing now. So I, I, when I write to the brothers in these institutions, these plantations, I send them the instructions. Hey, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to fill out. Had a whole movement in Alabama. I, don't, mm. I, I sent about 20-something letters. Only three of them brothers responded back. Three, three, no, four. Mm. Four. In each state, I'm picking cats off one by one, one by one. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. because I see we can do it. But when, and the last thing I'm going to say with this, unless you got a question, in April, I'm going to come at that 1994 crime bill. And in the 1994 crime bill, there's a lot of unconstitutional elements in there. So when I attack those, that's what's going to set people free. Because even though I'm attacking the 1994 crime bill, 
I'm really starting back in 1921 with Henry Anslinger, who was a protege of, of Nixon, not Nixon, of uh, J. Edgar Hoover, that knew mm -hmm. that the, the classification on drugs was really based on uh, racial anatomy. It, it had to do with, with your ethnicity. Your, you know, if you was the Hispanic or if, you know, was a person of color, that uh, marketing propaganda was was geared towards that to say, oh, these drugs gonna make you crazy and all that. No, it all had to do with racial. It, it, it had to do with your skin color. It really, that that back then literally did. Mm. So I, I just, if we attack it like that, we, we have to get to the root of it. Too many times we just trying to attack something at the surface. And the reason why I started doing one by one is so, so I could understand the steps and the procedures. You know, if this brother don't make it, Great, I learned from him, but I'll be back. Like, you know, Johnny Crocken with Geronimo Pratt. I'll be back. I'm coming to get you, baby. You know? <laughs> right. So that's it. You know, we, we we come in for the liberation for all the people, you know, all the people. And and really attacking the, the, the mental health, you know what I'm saying? Which is really not mental health. It should be trauma healing. That's mm. what we need to be doing. Because we've all experienced some type of trauma that manifests in our day-to-day -day lives today. Right. Yeah, but I must it, definitely agree. Yeah. So we're going to get that state of Missouri straight. Just give me one cat that ain't afraid to go up against that system and is willing to go up in that courtroom if need to be. I get that paperwork out there to Missouri by April and them jokers will get that 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 you can't vote public office law abolished. Mm. Bad. Guaranteed. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to um we're going to have to connect on that. Also, speaking of that, if anybody else wants to connect with you and they watch this, how can they get in touch with you? What do they need to do? Uh, www.hoodcandidate.com, Facebook Hood Candidate, the Instagram is Hood Candidate or the Ex Offender. But the Hood Candidate's that brand. Hood Candidate and the Ex Offender. You can get me, you know, on, on Instagram like that. Or if you're on LinkedIn, because you you know that's how stuff get done, LinkedIn. Just yeah, go LinkedIn. LinkedIn, one of the best things they got out there right now, bro. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, so we we appreciate you, man. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. I appreciate the work that you're doing and the example that you're setting because I know a lot of brothers that, that got backgrounds that get out of, of prison or the business of trouble, and they really want to get in the political field because they, they they doing a lot of activism stuff inside the neighborhoods. They're going up against the elite. They're putting new sheriffs in. They're putting new judges and stuff in, but they really want to be putting in a position themselves, but they fear okay. because of their background. Um, so, you know, this is really important. What you're doing is really important, and, and you're showing the way, and you're actually showing the way for me because I've, I've, that was one thing that I really want to attack. Uh, towards the end of this year, once I get everything else lined up, was attacking the thing of not being able to hold public office because it's been a thought that I had as well. So uh, what you're doing is important. I'm watching. A lot of us is watching, man. Keep being the representation for us. Keep pushing it forward. Keep bringing that knowledge. Keep getting that knowledge. And not only you getting it, you, you're bringing it out and, and, and you're putting it to work. You're manifesting yes. your vision, man. You're being the boss of your mission. You represent your, your higher self, uh, and I really salute you on that. I, I really appreciate you and everything that you do. Um, thanks for being a guest, and do you have any final words? I thank you, brother. And one thing that I do do and I would love to do with you is let's put together a teaching thing. 
You know, like I can show you right now, hey, this is what we got to do, give you the blueprint. But then if we take that blueprint and 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 do it as a movement, you know, so we done taught the people about their inalienable rights, how to enforce their rights. Because you don't fight for your rights. That's something you was given to by birth. You represent your rights. So we have to teach the people about their rights. The Constitution is not your rights. Your rights is given to you by the God of nature, the creator. That's mm -hmm. where your rights come from based on the Declaration of Independence. So you declare your rights. The Constitution is just there to enforce them. Mm -hmm. So we just teach the people. The greatest title I ever could have would be a teacher. Well, a servant. But a servant is a teacher because you're willing to show the people. I want. I don't want people to go through what I go through or went through. No, I went through it so you don't have to. But you still have to learn, though. You know what I'm saying? And, right. You know, that's going that's its own platform on its own, you know? Because you know we was hard-headed, you know? Cass was trying to tell us. Yeah, yeah. Cass was trying to tell us, you know, yeah, we had to, we, we chose to, you know, we got to learn on our own. We're going we gonna to learn our way. Uh, but, man, thank you. Thank you for everything. Again, thank you for being a guest. Thank you for coming on. Uh, feel free to join our reentry support group if you're on Facebook. We got a reentry support group. It, you can be and interact with a lot of people that's been on this podcast. Uh, a lot of people that's wanting to be on the podcast. A lot of individuals that's getting out and they, and they want to do some things. So I think you'll be a great asset to the group with your information and everything that you know. And um, man, keep on keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, sure. We're proud of you, and uh, we, we're glad to have you as an asset to the reentry community. Right on. We're glad to have you too, brother. Because I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without you. You know. Uh, thanks a each lot. One, one. It's it's, oh, it's yeah, a very mutual. It's a mutual. You know, we colleagues, and 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 I just say, you know, my strength is in this, but any strength that you have that I have could teach each other. And that's the unity that we are building now. We're building that. We're coming back together. You know, I don't want to ever say the, the the conversation, oh, well, that he doing this, and I, I want you to see this. Nah, bro, I see what you're doing. So now we colleagues, and you need to be on a podcast. Hit my brother here, you know, not come to my podcast. I don't have right. one yet. You know what I'm saying? So we just going to all keep networking and building. And like I said with that, we only need a team of 300 people across the states, man. That's all we need. 300 solid, committed individuals that we know we can count on, depend on, pick up that phone and call, and their word is bond, and we will change this nation. Guaranteed. And there you have it, right there. 300, and we can change the nation. This is another episode of The Reentry Journey. We'd like to thank our guests, Mr. Andy Williams for coming in, man, giving us that 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 them hood politics, being a hood yes, candidate, and once again, you know, we're here to support you on your journey. Thanks for being a guest, and we wish Thank wish you. you nothing but but nothing but success amongst your journey. Thank you, my brother. All right, pleasure to have you on. All right, peace out. All right, peace out. And we go with another episode of the reentry journey. Great episode. Make sure that you all, if you are any interest of getting involved in, you know, a whole public office and you feel like that your records and your background is going to be a problem, get with the brother, Mr. Andy Williams, the hood candidate 
and, and, and get with them. I guarantee you he's going to get you right. He's going to put you on the right track. Thanks for tuning in to the Reentry Journey. I am the host, Cardell Sims. I will be signing off. And until next time, be safe. If you have any problems and need any support, hit us all up. We're here for one another. Nothing about us without us. This is the Reentry Journey.